Hello, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of this here show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 18, Forming Strong Habits. Today, I am thrilled to welcome to the podcast one of my favorite personal development authors. James Clear is a writer over at jamesclear.com, and most recently, he is the author of Atomic Habits, which has been on the New York Times bestsellers list since it came out a year ago. In that time, it has gone on to sell over one million copies. I'm putting my my pinky to my mouth right now. And it's been translated in over 40 languages. Um, And and the reason I I think that the book has struck such a chord with people is quite simple. And it's actually very obvious once you read the book. It's scientific, credibly scientific. Uh, It's very, very helpful. And it's probably one of the most practical, tactical books on habits that's available on the market today. So it, it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast, the author of Atomic Habits, James Clear. James, my friend, welcome to the show. Hi, it's great to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you. Now we have to switch from that the friendly kind of preamble that we did before to this structured uh, interview mode. That's good. I'll flip the switch. I'm ready. Yeah, you ready? All right. <laughs> so, so I figure it would be helpful because all of, not, not all the listeners of the podcast, we have a lot of fit listeners on Becoming Better, but a lot of the listeners to the podcast are doing this weight loss challenge with Arden and I. And, and so we figured it might be uh, fun to, to dig into how we can make better habits around eating if you're game with that. Yeah, of course. That sounds great. Beautiful. So first of all, like, Step zero. So habits in general, what what makes why are habits worth building? Like why shouldn't we live our life uh, following the wind? Mm. You know what what makes habits worth worthwhile? Yeah, this is a good question. So a couple different entry points here. Um, so the purpose of habits is to solve the problems of life with less energy or effort than usual. So you know you go through your life and you face all kinds of problems. Some of them are very small, like I have a shoe on my foot that is untied, and some of them are much bigger uh, or more pervasive or repeating. Like um, I come home from work each day and I feel exhausted. But the more that you face a problem repeatedly, the more your brain starts to find a quick solution and then automate that solution. So if you have the small problem of the shoe is untied on your foot, then the first time you have to think carefully about how to tie your shoe and maybe your parent or an adult shows you how to do it. And then after yeah. you do it a hundred or 500 or a thousand times, pretty soon you can just like play this mental shortcut in your mind whenever that situation arises. So you look down at your shoe, shoe is untied, boom, play the, the shoe tying script and that little automatic habit solves the problem. Same things happen for a similar thing happens for bigger problems. So you come home from work each day and you're exhausted. It's 5.30 p.m. You walk in the door. And that is a problem that needs to be solved in some sense. And so for for some people, they do something like they'll play video games for an hour. Or somebody else might smoke a cigarette. Or a third person might go for a run. And yeah. you can already see here that the way that we respond to these problems can vary. And so some of the solutions that we automate are unhealthy and some of the solutions that we automate are more healthy and um, we just kind of come into them naturally. And so your question about like, why bother building habits? 
part of the answer is you're doing it already. Uh, your, your life is filled with habits day in and day out. And so if you're already going to be building them, it makes sense to understand how the process works and how to change it and adjust it so that your habits serve you rather than hinder you. And I think that's one mm-hmm. of the real benefits that Atomic Habits and kind of the whole framework of how habits work, that's one of the benefits that it provides is that it gives you control over a process that you previously kind of feel like happens to you. Like a lot of us feel like we're the victim of our habits, that they they yeah. just sort of happen. I'm not in control. Oh, I did that action. I wasn't even paying attention or it was, it was almost over before I even realized what I was doing. But once you can start to break your habits down in a little bit more granular detail and understand how they work, then you can become the architect of your habits rather than the victim of them. And uh, so I think that's the the short answer on why building habits is important and why you should care about them. That's awesome to to automate uh, the parts of our life that that we need we shouldn't be thinking about. Yeah, and it's also like um, you can automate the entry points to things that maybe you should be thinking about or should be focusing mm-hmm. on effortfully. So, you know, a lot of the work that we do now, especially if you have a, a knowledge worker kind of job or any any job where it requires creativity or effort or concentration, a lot of the most meaningful things that we do each day are not habitual. They require very careful thought, you know, something you might, Mm. this is one of the maybe confusing things about the way we use the word habit. We, the technical definition of a habit is something that's more or more or less automatic, but done enough times to be done automatically. So brushing your teeth, tying your shoes, unplugging the toaster after each use, but you might use the word habit to mean something bigger. Like you might say, I want to get in the habit of writing every day, or I want to get in the habit Mm. of going to the gym four days a week. And I know what you mean when you say that, right? You mean I want to make it a regular practice, a a routine. But writing, for example, is about as effortful as it gets. Like you're thinking very carefully about what words to cut, what order the sentences should be in, whether this paragraph should be rearranged. So it's not an automatic, non-conscious process. Um, Instead, what you can do there is you can use habit to automate the beginning of the the routine. So sitting down in the chair, you know, like my writing routine is I wake up, I take a shower, get a glass of water, and I sit down at my desk. And all of that, that pretty much happens on autopilot. And it's getting me to the place where now I can think carefully about what to write next. And so one of the great roles that habits can play is that they can be the entry point, not the end point, so that you can automate the kind of the first domino, um, automate the, the first action. And if you make the first action mindless, then those more effortful, carefully thought out things can come afterward. But you can sort of determine the next chunk of time by making sure that the tip of the spear is in the right position. Well, one of the ideas that you write about in the book that connects a bit with that is the two-minute rule. Yeah. Would you be able to, to share what that is with yeah. folks? Yeah, I'm glad you started with this. This, this is a, good, uh, a great place to start. If you're wondering, like, what should I do first? This is a good, a good spot. So... The two-minute rule basically says take whatever habit you're trying to build and scale it down to something it takes two minutes or less to do. And uh, there are quite a few examples here that tie into weight loss, but it can apply to anything. Like, for example, if your habit, the habit you want to build is reading 40 books a year, then you scale that down to something that takes two minutes or less, so it becomes read one page. Or do yoga four days a week becomes take out my yoga mat. And sometimes when I tell people that, they resist it a little bit because they're like, okay, I know the real goal isn't just to take my yoga mat out. Like I know I actually want to do the workout. And so if this is some kind of mental trick, like why would I fall for it basically? And, um, I understand if you would feel that way, but I, so I have this reader, his name's Mitch 
and I mentioned him in Atomic Habits, and he ended up losing over 100 pounds. And one of the first things they did was for the first six weeks that he went to the gym, he wasn't allowed to stay for longer than five minutes. So he had this little rule for himself. So he'd get in the car, drive to the gym, get out, do half an exercise, get back in the car, drive home. And it sounds ridiculous, right? It seems like something silly, like this is not going to get the guy the results he wants. But when you step back, what you realize is that he was mastering the art of showing up. He was becoming the type of person that went to the gym four days a week, even if it was only for five minutes. You call it a gateway habit in the book. Right, yeah. So it's the same idea as what we were just talking about. Like, what is the tip of the spear? What is the first action? How can you make that gateway habit, that little initial thing of my habit is I drive to the gym and I stay for five minutes. If you make that the habit, then often it opens up the the next chunk of time or the the window of opportunity to do some more uh, or do it consistently. But that gateway habit, what's really important about it is that it helps you master the art of showing up. And this is, I think, a much deeper truth about habits that often gets overlooked, which is a habit must be established before it can be improved. You know, like you have to make the standard in Mm -hmm. your life before you can worry about optimizing or scaling up or making it something bigger. And so often we're focused on finding the perfect workout program, the best business idea, the ideal diet plan. We're so focused on optimizing that we don't give ourselves permission to show up, even if it's just in a small way. But the truth is, if you don't show up consistently, if you don't build that initial gateway habit, there's no raw material to optimize. There's nothing to work with. And so Mm. um, the two-minute rule kind of helps you get over that natural inclination we have to maybe bite off more than we can chew or try to jump for the perfect plan in the beginning uh, by forcing you to keep it under two minutes and master the art of showing up. And so that, I think, is a really helpful way to start. And especially for weight loss, if we're talking about building an exercise habit, going for a run consistently, um, or with many of the, the dietary habits that people are focused on with weight loss, You don't have to eat perfectly for seven days in a row. Let's just focus on Mm -hmm. building the gateway habit of buying vegetables and having them in the house or of chopping up fruits and vegetables on Sunday so that you have something healthy to eat on Wednesday night when you're exhausted. Um, These small habits can actually, you know, they start to help you build out a larger system for behavior change. Yeah, what what we're that reminds me of you, you know we have these systems ourselves, but also these systems in the environments around us, mm. uh, the social environments that we're in, the um, the physical environments that we're in. Uh, w- would you be able to speak a, a little bit about the environments that we can find ourselves in and how that might influence uh, how how much we weigh and and what we can do to modify that? Yeah, so let's start with physical environment. Um, yeah. Part of me wonders, I, I have not seen this graph particularly, but part of me wonders if you could map the rise and proliferation of fast food to the increase of obesity in uh, America. And if you just started and say like 1950 and then tracked the number of fast food restaurants and the density of them with uh, the obesity rate, I wonder how closely those would be correlated. Obviously, correlation does not equal causation, but um, the truth is most of us live and work in environments now where it's hard to drive down the road five minutes without passing six different fast food restaurants. Um, And if anything is prevalent in the environment, that means a couple things. One, it means that it's going to be obvious to act on because you're surrounded by it. Two, it means that it's going to be one of the paths of least resistance. It's going to be very convenient to act on. And then uh, if you couple that, particularly in the case of food, mass production of food has also dropped the cost. So um, the physical environment is now filled with foods that are cheap, abundant, and highly visible. 
And that combination can make it very easy to overeat. Um, I think when uh, I, I need to, I haven't fact checked this exactly, but I believe that one of the things I read when I was researching certain elements of the book for this is that when McDonald's launched the um, double cheeseburger for a dollar and put it on the dollar menu for a period of time, that was the most amount of calories you could ever get for the cheapest amount of money um, in wow. the history of the world. So anyway, there's a, wow. the point here is that the physical environment is filled with food and that makes it much more likely that you overeat. Now, you don't have control over what the external world looks like, but you do have control over your little world, how your apartment is laid out, the items on your kitchen counter at home, the things on your desk at work, the way your living room is shaped. And these physical spaces also impact your choices. And particularly because we live and work in these places and spend the majority of our hours there, they can be a very meaningful place to intervene too. So, um, Dan Harris, who's a, an anchor on good morning America, um, I was working, we, we did a segment together and he asked me about eating habits. He wanted to cut back and lose a little bit of weight and cut down on late night snacking. And so one of the ideas that we came up with is that there's a little device. It's called the kitchen safe. It's actually just a, a Tupperware container, but it's a special Tupperware container that has a lockable top. So you can program it to lock for say an hour or for eight hours. And so his new habit became after I finished dinner, I put the snacks in our pantry in the lockable container and lock it until like 7 a.m. the next morning. And so now he's <laughs> created a physical environment that has structured uh, his behavior so that he doesn't need willpower as much, right? It's not, it's less about him resisting the late night snack. It's more like, oh, now it's suddenly not an option. So little tweaks like that to the environment can help. Subtle things like, um, you know, I used to buy apples and I would keep them in the crisper at the bottom of the fridge. And then I'd forget they were there and then three weeks would pass and I'd find them and then I'd be like, oh, I'm annoyed because I'm wasting apples. I got to throw them out. They went bad. I'm wasting money. So I bought a large display bowl and I put it right in the center of the counter, put the apples in there. Now they're gone in like two or three days. Um, and it's just because they're more obvious. And so this is the main principle to keep in mind when it comes to environment design, which is you want to make the cues of your good habits, of the healthy options, of the more productive action. You want to make those cues obvious, available, visible, easy to see. And then you want to make the cues of your bad habits less visible, more difficult to see. Uh, almost think about making them invisible. So mm. put the the least healthy foods, tuck them all the way in the back um, <clears throat> in, the, uh, in the freezer or in the pantry. Put them on the highest shelf or the lowest shelf. Delete the uh, takeout apps off of off of my phone. Yes. This is uh, you know something you mentioned off the top. These triggers that we have for some habits. You know, coming home tired uh, last week. Uh, I was traveling. You know, all, all, all about to, for some work stuff, and uh, I came home and I was tired. And the very first thing that I thought is, oh, I need to reward myself with some food. You know, equating that tiredness with the fact that that I. Uh, had earned a reward of some sort, mm. but the apps weren't on my phone uh, at all. So I had to settle for the some celery that was in the fridge. So I did something similar. So we've been talking about physical environment, but you can do it, as yeah. you just mentioned, with digital environment. Um, so when I wanted to build a reading habit, if you look at the home screen on my phone, I move all the apps off the screen and they're on the second screen. So I got to swipe over to get to them. And then on the home screen, I moved over Pocket, which you can save articles online to read for later and mm. Audible for audiobooks. And so the first two apps that I would see as soon as I would open my phone up every time were apps that prompted me or cued me to read. And so 
Um, the idea there is the same, whether we're talking about digital environment or physical environment, which is you want to make the cues obvious and you want to make the good action the path of least resistance. And then you want to make the bad uh, cues invisible and you want to make the unproductive actions more difficult by adding steps, increasing friction, and so on. And I think we just summarize all of this. I think we, we get the point by now. But the summary is just, if you want something to be a big part of your life, make it a big part of your environment. You know, so often mm. we say that things are important to us, but then you look at the places you live and work and they don't surround us. And so just by doing that, you put yourself in a much better position to make a, a good and productive action. One of the curious things about the timing of this challenge is that, <laughs> so, so the t- I think the challenge, I forget the exact days, I, I believe it's October 13th to, to January 14th. And of course, that includes the holidays, that mm. includes Christmas and New Year's, uh, of which... Uh, you know, we we tend to uh, overindulge in those kinds of things. But th- that kind of brings to mind the point that, you know, we have the consistent environments where we have our daily commute, we have our office, we have uh, our, our home when we get there. But we also have, you know, environments when we travel that are constantly changing. Yep. We have environments when we go visit home. Uh, many people listening to the show, uh, including my co-host slash wife Arden and I, uh, we have very weird schedules that aren't too consistent on a day-to-day basis because of uh, differing demands. So what what can we do to make sure our habits don't fall to pieces around these times when our, our environment is changing so rapidly? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, first, I think we can make a distinction. We can put habits into two buckets. So Daria Rose has this great concept where she says you have home court habits and away court habits. And so your home court oh. habits are things that you do in your own house, things that you do at the office or desk that you work at all the time, right? The places that you go to repeatedly. And the home court tends to be under your control. And we also, most of the time, tend to spend more time there. So it usually makes much more sense. Optimize your home court habits first. And just let the away court habits like do their thing while you get the home court under control. Now, for some people, if they're consultants or speakers or whatever your job is, you're on the road all the time, all of a sudden the hotel becomes your home court, right? But you're, mm-hmm. you're moving and yeah. changing all the time. And this is one of the challenges with habits, which is that a habit is a repeated behavior that gets tied to a particular context. So I mentioned earlier, like the habit of tying your shoe, the context that triggers that habit is just having an untied shoe on your foot. Now, Mm -hmm. the same thing can be true of other bigger habits. Like for example, I'm going to go off on an example here and then I'm going to come back to, to answer your question. So yeah. We've got like, uh, let's say that you want to build a new habit like, um, like journaling each night. Okay. And right now your habit is, oh, when it's 7 PM, I go to my living room and sit on the couch and I'm watching Netflix. Well, at first, maybe that habit of turning on Netflix is tied to something specific, like thinking about a particular show or look, seeing the remote or whatever. But over time, the cue becomes the entire context. The thing that prompts the habit is just being in your living room at seven. And so if you go home from work tonight and you go, you walk into your living room after dinner and you think, I want to build a journaling habit and you sit down on the couch. Well, even if you don't consciously think about it in this way, you're sort of subconsciously being pulled toward picking up the remote and turning on Netflix because that's what happens in your living room at seven. You kind of have this behavioral bias that is attached to the environment. And so it's often easier to build a new habit in a new physical environment. Like you could, for example, say, 
all right, instead of doing it at home, uh, when I get done with work, I'm going to go to a coffee shop that I don't normally go to. And that's going to become the journaling coffee shop. And I'm going to go in there. I'm going to turn my phone off. I journal for 20 minutes and then I go home. And you have kind of two benefits here. One is it's a clean, it's a, a clean slate, right? It's this, this like new environment that doesn't have behaviors already tied to it. So it becomes easier to associate it with the new thing that you're building. The yeah. second benefit is that it's kind of like a one plant crowding out another in the sense that any minute that you are spending in that coffee shop journaling is by definition a minute that you are not at home watching Netflix. And so you don't even really need to think that much about breaking the bad habit. You're just crowding it out by building a good one. Um, and that actually, that approach can be applied to many habits. You can just focus on building a new one um, and forget about breaking the bad one. And you know, the time is being used up anyway. All right. So now let's come back to your, your question. Um, so, we have these spaces that we live and work in. And if you are continually changing context, like checking in at a hotel or you're on the road or whatever, your home court habits are kind of, you're, you're always in the away court basically. Yeah. And so I would say if you're looking to build a habit in that type of changing environment, focus less on the actual physical space and focus more on the behaviors that precede the habit you want to build. So for example, Rather than tying it to a location, you can tie it to a behavior that you repeat. So you could say, after I check in at the hotel, I say one thing I'm grateful for that happened today. So that's a gratitude habit that's not tied to a place now. It's not like I sit at my kitchen table and say something I'm grateful for before dinner each night. I say it after I check in. It's tied to an action. Same thing where you could say, after I set my um, my uh, luggage on the bed when I check into the hotel room, I immediately do five burpees. And so it's the action of setting your luggage down that leads to the workout. And so um, by tying it to a repeated action, something you can rely on, uh, that's a way to get around the fact that you can't rely on the context being repeated. Mm. So you usually can rely on on something, though. Which you is, try to uh, find the pieces that are stable, right? This is the a, a habit almost yeah. by definition is a stable behavior. It's something that's reliable, something that's repeated again and again. And so you want to find another piece of the experience that's also stable that you can tie it to so that you have something reliable to, to build that off of. If you, it, it, I mean, it makes sense. It's almost like tautological, tautological in the sense that if you want something to be reliable, don't tie it to something that is fickle. Um, and so if the, yeah. if the yeah. context is always changing, if the physical environment's always changing, that's not reliable enough. If the, the sequence of events is always changing, that's re- not reliable enough. Try to find something. And you could even, you know, it could, <laughs> could even be if you were, you know, if you were infinitely going through things and it was just changing all the time, you could even set like an alarm on your phone. And it's like, well, when the alarm goes off, that's when I say what I'm grateful for. Um, <laughs> so you, sometimes you can create the, the stability by programming it in. But, um, but yeah, you're looking for something stable to build a reliable habit on. That's great. What one one thing I I did want to mention to you before you know I, I know Arden always harps on me for keeping these uh, taking too long with these interviews but I, you know we get so curious and caught up in a conversation but one thing I want to ask um, be, before we have to go is yeah, I, I find like especially around food and maybe other pe- people experience this too but I find I'm uh, personally like really hard on myself whenever I make an effort to lose weight and, and so I'll, I'll fall off the wagon for a day or two and there will be this internal story in my head and, and I'll say you know stupid Chris you'll never lose these these 15 pounds if you want to 
if you want to eat funnel cakes so often or you know that that Domino's pizza app is so accessible on your phone um and and I find that negative self-talk comes up a lot do you is this something you think about what what are a few ways that we can be uh, kind to ourselves as we invest in our habits yeah this is an interesting question ultimately the process of changing any habit is really the process of changing your internal story about what things mean and how to act in response to them. And I, mm-hmm. I hesitate to say that a little bit because I don't, I don't want to come off as, as dismissive. I don't want to sound like, oh, well, just think about it different and then it'll be easy, you know, because it's not like that. But it is true that every behavior you do has a uh, story attached to it. So, for example, let's take a, an eating habit, talking about weight loss. Let's say yeah. you walk into your kitchen in the morning, you see a loaf of bread on the counter, and you think, oh, I should make some toast for breakfast. So that that thought is an internal story. Oh, bread, toast, that's what I should make, that's how, what my breakfast is. That's the, the story going on. And then let's say like a week later, you read a book, uh, some diet book or nutrition book or something, and it convinces you that grain is the devil and carbs are bad and you should never touch bread again. Well, now you walk into your kitchen the next morning and you see the same loaf of bread, but suddenly the story has changed. The internal narrative has changed. And so now you see bread and you don't think I should make toast. You think I should throw that out. Um, and I'm not advocating for a particular diet here. I'm just trying to illustrate the point. But the, the idea yeah. is that all the cues and experiences in our life, we have some kind of meaning or story attached to them. And um, if you want to change the behaviors that you take in response, then you need to change the story. Now, sometimes that can happen by the example I just gave, like reading a book or having a conversation that leads to some kind of epiphany. But the truth is epiphanies are rare. And so I think the more reliable way to change your internal story about what things mean, who you are, how you act, is that you need to shift your identity. And this is a concept that I call I talk about in the book that I call identity-based habits. And the, the core idea here is that true behavior change is really identity change. Once you start to look at yourself in a new way, you're not even really pursuing behavior change anymore. You're just acting in alignment with the type of person you already see yourself to be. And so why does this matter? Why does this link back to habits? The short version is every action you take is like a vote for the type of person you want to become. And so the first time that you study biology on Tuesday night for 20 minutes, no, you don't think anything major about it. But if you do that every week, then all of a sudden at some point you start to think, Hey, I'm studious. Or the first time that you go for a run or walk around the block for two minutes, you don't think I'm an athlete or I'm a runner, but eventually you keep showing up and that becomes part of your identity. And so this is, I think the powerful thing about habits, maybe the real reason that they matter. We often talk about habits as mattering because they provide external results. Oh, habits can help you lose weight or get six pack abs or double your income or reduce stress. And yes, it's true. Habits can do all those things, but the real reason that they matter is they cast votes for the type of person that you wish to become. They reinforce your desired identity. And eventually if you keep casting votes, you build up evidence of being that kind of person. And just like any election, you don't need, it doesn't have to be unanimous. You don't need to be perfect. But you do need a majority of votes to win the election. And so this, I think, is the the reason that like doing one push-up, no, it, it doesn't transform your body overnight, but it does cast a vote for I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. And writing one sentence does not finish the novel, but it does cast a vote for I am a writer. And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's what we're really going for. Like the real goal is not to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. The real goal is not to... Yeah 
do a silent meditation retreat. The goal is to become a meditator. And once you start to assign those identities to yourself, I'm a meditator, I'm a writer, I'm the type of person who doesn't miss workouts, I'm the type of person who finishes what I start. Those identities are very positive. It can lift you up and help reinforce the desired identity. I think the best way to do that, the best way to get that internal narrative change to shift the identity that you have is to cast votes in a small way by building these little habits and build up evidence of that new identity. So a few things to try if you're doing this uh, dieting experiment, this food experiment, modify your physical environment, change the route on the way home, Uh, pick up a kitchen safe. What was that? What was that product called? Kitchen Again? safe, yeah, the kitchen safe, like kitchen a, safe. a safe that you like lock things away in. But yeah, it's a, it's like a lockable Tupperware oh, container. That's great. Make it obvious. Start small, maybe with a two minute rule. Pay attention to the um, home court habits versus away court habits. And uh, the final one: shift that identity. Uh, I have a quote here from the book that I love uh, around shifting your identity. Uh, you wrote, "The most effective way to change your habits is to focus not on what you want to achieve, but on who you wish to." become. I, I love that idea. And it kind of sums up the um, the book pretty nicely. It's not only tactical, not only practical, but it does have that uh, connection to, to who we are as people. And it is a way by which we can become a better person. And that, that kind of you know fits into the theme of the show. And I always like to end the conversations that I have with, uh, with friends of mine with one question. Uh, and that is, James Clear, what is one thing you're working on becoming better at right now? Mm. Well, I have plenty of things to work on. I like to say, I always consider my readers and I to be peers. Like we're, we're all going through this together, you know, and I write about these yeah. concepts, not because I have it mastered, but because I need to master it. Um, so the thing that it probably feels most acute, acutely painful to me right now that I'm working on is prioritizing, uh, trying to get mm. better about determining where do I want to allocate my finite attention and focus and um, prioritization is probably the number one thing that I can improve at. I think that would also improve the habits that I have because what you choose as your priorities determines how you spend your time and how much time you have determines what habits you can build. So uh, it's kind of like upstream of many of the habits I'd like to create. Like I love working out and my workout habit is pretty good. Um, but I need to have time and space for it and priorities uh, determine what happens to that time and space. That's awesome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Wonderful. Thanks for having me.